0: The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. Could you uh, take your Bibles out? We're going to be in three places in the scriptures uh, this morning. Uh, The first one will be in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 18. If you're using the Bible in front of you, you can find it on page 1628. And then the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 26. it. will speak about, uh, speak about uh, Peter uh, in the garden. And then uh, the words of Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5 and on page 1,892. So we'll begin with Luke chapter 18. And Jesus uh, begins this uh, account with uh, some words. And it leads into a parable. And it's a parable about pride and you'll note as it starts it says to some who are confident of their own righteousness and what does the text say look down on everybody else to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everybody else Jesus told this parable and so as we read it you'll see these uh, three um, characteristics of pride it begins with this um, self-confidence to those who are confident in their own righteousness. This confident in, in, um, in what we do, our merits. And then that leads to wandering eyes. And you compare that, you know, the, the works that you have towards others. And inevitably that leads then to a condemnation of the other. And so Jesus tells this parable to some who are confident of their own righteousness. And look down on you know, everybody else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, adulterers, evildoers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, give a tenth of all that I get, all that I have. The tax collector stood off in the distance in a corner, would not raised his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, the sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. So you see it. There's this confidence in self, which leads to a comparison towards others, and then that comparison also ends up with a condemnation. And you'll see this, uh, in the account in Matthew chapter 26 with Peter um, and uh, Jesus confronting him about his, his pride. Now, I think the easiest way to define pride is to simply spell it and uh, ask the question, uh, so what is at the heart and the core of pride? Well, if you spell it, it's what? P-R-I-D-E. It's a case of my and And I, it really is uh, the unholy trinity compared to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The only, you know, the unholy trinity consisting of me and myself and I wanting to rule and to reign and to have our own way and to be right and think that you're wrong and to fight it our way. And it attempts, you know, to fight against the rightful trinity, which is the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God's name placed upon us. But pride, this is in, it's an insidious, deeply rooted um, result of corruption in us, the depravity that is in us, turned in upon ourselves, the center of all being you know, a case uh, of I, an I. So to give it a little bit more description, I thought maybe we could take the Lord's Prayer and turn it a little bit Uh, into what pride would, how pride would pray it. And so this week I took some, just some notes, and I put the, I think I put it in your bulletin there, the pride prayer, we'll lay it alongside of the Lord's Prayer, and we'll see how this I is at the the center of it. And uh, maybe we can read the, the kind of the phrases together, okay? So it begins this way, it doesn't begin our Father, does it? Because if there's a case of I at the center, who exists? Just me. There is no we. There is no us. It is, let's say the phrase together. My Father, you must be so proud of, proud of me. So proud of me. Instead of hallowed be thy name, it's what? Make my, make my name known. Make my name known. Tell everyone about me. Instead of thy kingdom come and thy will be done, it's my kingdom come. And my will be done. Um, an affront to the Trinity can be seen in this uh, phrase. Uh, in the Lord's Prayer it says, Give us this day our daily bread. And so you then acknowledge who gives you, who opens his hand and satisfies the desires of every living thing. Well, God. Specifically God the Father, the Provider, the Creator of all. But pride says, you know, I'm going to look at myself, see how hard I've worked, Look what my hands have done. You know what? All this stuff that I have around here, I made it happen. I made it happen. An affront to the work of the Lord Jesus, you see in the petition, Forgive Us Our Trespasses, when pride looks around and makes comparisons and boasts of its own righteousness and says, I've done nothing wrong. I've done nothing wrong. They're the ones who have wronged me. I've done nothing wrong. Thank God you haven't made me like them, robbers, evildoers, or adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, give a tenth of all I got. When it comes to temptation, again, the comparison is made in a condemnation. You'll again hear these in the words in the Gospel of Matthew 26. You know what? I would never do that. When tempted, I would never do that. They're the weak ones. I'm the strong one. When it comes, when the test comes, I'll be the one standing. Deliver us from evil. Well, we think that we can stand on our own. We say, well, I'm, I'm invincible. Me and, you know, my, myself and I, we're going to win the day. And the doxology at the end is not, you know, to thine be the kingdom and the power and the glory, but rather mine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. And instead of, affirming all of the work of God, and saying, yes, yes, that's true, those are your promises, God. We say, well, in the end, I did it. I did it my way. I did it my way. That's deep, hidden, in the core of who we are, isn't it? Now, in the scriptures, when God speaks about our sins, there's a couple categories you can use for this morning. We'll talk about about two. Uh, Hidden sins... And willful sins. Now, hidden sins doesn't mean that I'm doing them, in this case. I'm doing them and I want to hide them from God or hide them from you so you don't see them. Hidden, in this sense, means they're even not known to me. Willful sins, well, those are pretty obvious. It means I'm going to go my own way. I'll be rebellious. I really don't care what God says about it. I'm just going to do it. Hidden sins are these ones that are so deep within me that I don't even recognize that I have them you get this in psalm 19 in fact let's say uh, let's say psalm 19 together who can discern his errors forgive my hidden faults keep your servant also from willful sins who can discern his errors we are so depraved and so corrupt in our natures that it's hidden from our eyes we can't even see it It needs to be revealed from God's word how insidious this idea of me, myself, and I at the center of it all is. So the psalmist says, who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Not only that, keep your servant also from the willful sins. Psalm 36, let's read those words. It's speaking of the the proud. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For in his own eyes, he flatters himself too much to detect or to hate his his sin. Now, to show you how deeply rooted this is, if you read those verses and immediately your mind went to somebody else, you you understand what I'm talking about, don't you? Pride is so deeply rooted in the heart that we just don't see it. We don't see it. We don't acknowledge it. we don't acknowledge it, you're not going to deal with it. So if you think that I have a pride problem, what you will probably encounter when you talk to me is we'll have a cup of coffee, and then, you know, you'll start to, you know, talk to me about some issues, and what kind of response will you get from me if I have a prideful heart? Immediately, they will say, I don't know what you're talking about. What are you talking about? In fact, you're the one who has the problem. Why are you talking to me about this? You won't see it. You won't acknowledge it. And then, of course, you won't do anything about it. And so it's so uh, rooted in us that God will have to have his way specifically with this sin. and we're going to talk about it, that um, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God himself will have to do something to open our eyes to acknowledge it. And so the conversation may be a nice conversation over a cup of coffee with me, but at the end of the conversation, you'll probably go away, if I have a pride issue, you'll probably go away shaking your head and saying, he doesn't see it. I mean, he just doesn't get it. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pray for him that Satan will not sift him. I Commend Paul into your hands. You do whatever you need to do with Paul because you are the one who wants to take Paul off of the throne of his life and replace Paul... With something beautiful and powerful and wonderful. But Paul in his pride is attempting a coup on the throne and the rule and the reign of the triune God. That's what pride is. Take God off of his rule and reign in all of his works, his creation, his provision, his redemption, his sanctification of us, the creation of faith, the sustaining of faith. It's an attempted coup, I mean a takeover against the rule and the reign of God. Now, how do you think God reacts to pride? Do you think he's silent about it or do you think he has some words to say about it? Well, over the the week what you can do is take a concordance, maybe there's one in the back of your Bible, and just look up in the back and and see words like pride uh, or proud and see what God's words are about it. He's serious about this, isn't he? I mean, in fact, let's read some of them together. The proud he pays back in full. He mocks proud mockers. He tears down the house of the proud. He detests all the proud of heart. The Lord has a day in store for all the proud. And God opposes the proud. Probably the most famous one, though, is... If I give you a clue, I'll start it for you. You'll probably be able to finish In fact, your friend's in the workplace, even though they're not Christian, we'll probably be able to finish it. Pride goes before the fall. The the verse itself in the Bible says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall, but pride goes before a fall. So let me okay, we'll go back to our little conversation. You come to me with a cup of coffee, we sit and talk, you shake your head and say he, he doesn't see it, he doesn't acknowledge it, he's not going to do anything about it. We'll commend him into God's care, and God opposes the proud, and so here's the reality with this sin. Um, some, I think, sins that God deals with, with our character, he uh, chisels away, you know, uh, a little bit of refining here and there, but with pride, it is so deeply ingrained in us that God goes after this with a hammer. Not a little chip here or there, but a pulverizing and a crushing. The Bible speaks of God's word as being, you know, this this icy blast, this uh, fire. And he says, it's like a hammer also that does what? Breaks rock into pieces. We're going to hear about this in the Gospel, Matthew. Peter is also called what? Rock. But if you follow us during Holy Week, you follow uh, Peter especially, the rock you will find at the end of Holy Week, is going to be pulverized because of pride. The other side of the story will be the story of redemption. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, the other side of the story brings hope. That, you know, this is law, firmest law, that God opposes the proud. You can't see it, you won't acknowledge it, you won't do anything about it, but who will. God will. And he comes with a hammer, and he will crush. But at the end of it, pulverizing you, grace then comes to the humble. And here's one of the beautiful gifts that come, and it's the peace. I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but when you've been crushed in your pride and you've been humbled, the peace that comes over it is finally this realization that, you know what? I I am not... I am not in the place of the triune God. There is a great relief when you are taken off the throne of the universe and you have to make it all happen or it has to go your way or you get frustrated and it's all out of your control. I'm telling you, there is a peace that surpasses all understanding when you are crushed under the the mighty word of God, the hammer of God, so that you understand your right place and the gifts of Christ then come to you and who is rightfully then on the throne? The right person then takes the throne, and you have all the gifts then of the king. See, the word of God is not only God opposes the proud, end of sentence. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So maybe this is a, a good prayer with pride. And maybe you don't even know that you, you have the issue, but you say this prayer, and I think God will, will uh, take it... Uh, you know, to the next step and deal with whatever is uh, needed. And, and the prayer is simple. Forgive my hidden faults. Forgive my hidden faults. This one is so deep in me, I don't, I, don't, I don't even know about it. I don't even see it. God, it's hidden even from my own understanding. It's not hidden from you. But you work on it. You crush it. God opposes the proud. But then be gracious to me. Give grace to the humble. Forgive my hidden faults. Now we see this played out in Matthew chapter 26, verses 31 through 56. And so, if you wanted a tagline to the story, it could be the rock uh, is pulverized, and the rock being um, Peter himself. Now, Peter does have a reputation, does he not, for speaking and making his opinion known, and for being bold in it. In Matthew chapter 16, you, you recall the story where Jesus asks, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. This was not revealed to you by by the world, but by my Father in heaven. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The rest of the story goes, Jesus begins to explain that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer, die, and in the third day rise again. And what does Peter do? Typical Peter. Hey, yeah, that's a great idea. I'm all with you on that one. No. He says, never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Me, myself, and I, an attempted coup on the king of the universe and his will and his way of salvation. To which Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Well, we see Peter still struggling with this will and this way of god verse 31 then jesus told them this very night you will all fall away on account of me for it is written i will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered but after i have risen i will go ahead of you into galilee to which, to which peter replies well let's read it together peter replied Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. This very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. All the other disciples said the same. I think we're kind of like, well, okay, Peter went out there and kind of pointed the finger at all of us. And now we're not going to let that happen. We're going to join in and say, no, no, no. Yeah, Peter says, even if all of them deserve you, I won't. And they pipe up and say, oh, we won't do it either. Even if I have to die with you. Well, here's the phrases, right? That will never happen. That, Jesus, you told me that, you know, I would flee and run away from you. But here, Peter is telling Jesus, the Son of God, what you said is wrong. That's not ever going to happen. I would never do that. I'm right. You're wrong. So, Jesus, I got a better idea. Let's take matters into our own hands. Let's get some swords. My way or no way. Jesus says, stay here. And he goes and prays. Not only prays for himself, he prays for His disciples. And then we pick the account back up at verse 47. Verse 47 says While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived with him, was a large crowd, armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priest and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them The one I kiss is the man, arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Friend, do what you came for. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions, and we know from the rest of the Gospels, who is this companion? Peter. One of the companions reached for his sword, drew it out, struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? At that time Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have to come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me, but this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. How many disciples deserted? All. It is written I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. There's three phrases in uh, this section that go after the pride of Peter, but there's good news at the, um, at the end of it. First one is, Peter, do what? Put away your sword. Pride takes the fight, right? Pride has this in his mind, you know what, we're going to do this you know, my way, and if it's by force, it's by force, but I'm going to draw the sword. And humility that the hammer of God creates is not by might, Not by power, but by the Spirit, says the Lord. Put away the sword, Peter. Put it back in its place. And what does Jesus say? Don't you think I can't call on my Father and he will at once at my disposal give me twelve legions of angels. Peter, put your sword away. But now all this had to happen so the scriptures will be fulfilled. They all say it's going to have to happen this way. Now putting back your sword or not trusting in your sword is just not a new idea. But you'll see the echoes of it if you read the Psalms. They're forever talking about this idea of God giving the victory. And so let's read Psalm 44 together. I do not trust in my bow, my sword does not bring me victory. But you give us victory over our enemies... You put our adversaries to shame. In God, we make our boast all day long and we will praise your name forever. Peter, put the sword away. You think that you're going to accomplish this your way. Just put it away. And you will see the power of God. And in Holy Week, you will come and you will be wondering, is this what the power of God is like? Son of man? Betrayed and slandered and deserted and suffering and dying? Is this the victory? Well, it's all you know, made clear to us that this, the one who's really in charge of this whole week, though it, on the outside appearance from a worldly perspective, it looks far from it, is Jesus Christ. Because he says, all of this, and you'll see in Holy Week, all of this, it must happen this way. Peter, you said, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And I had to tell you, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Peter, you you will see in the hours to come the way of God. The way of God in Christ Jesus. But all of this has to take place. So that what the writings have spoken about, the prophets and the Psalms and the books of Moses... That it all would be fulfilled. So often I ask uh, you know, students who uh, take a class of mine, tell me, if you have this Bible and you open it up and people tell, you know, ask you, so what's this Bible about? Can you give them a like a good little a phrase or a subtitle you know, to, descri- to describe it? And so the way you could do it is with a reference to this verse. The Bible, all of the books are about what? Jesus Christ, crucified, dead and risen for the forgiveness of sins. It must happen this way. Now, it's described in the scriptures as the humiliation of Christ and the exaltation of Christ. Uh, so turn to Philippians chapter 2. You'll see this idea of God humbling himself and then in Christ Jesus and then uh, this Jesus being uh, exalted. So we said how insidious and deep and central is this issue of pride, that God goes to this, this extent that the Son of God himself takes on human flesh. And we call this, um, a good way to describe it, is the state of humiliation and exaltation. So let me give you a definition. They're big words. But you'll see it in Philippians 2. So, humiliation, in the state of humiliation, it means that the Son of God, the second of the per- person of the Trinity, humbles himself, takes the very nature of a servant. So much so that during this state, and you'll see it in the Creed, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. Son of God takes on human flesh. And in this state, he does not or always fully use his divine attributes. So is he tired? Does he sleep? Yes. Is he, does he suffer? Is he betrayed? Is he slandered? Can he call down all the angels if he wanted to? Yes, he does not fully or always use these divine attributes. So he could have, but he didn't. Exaltation is, okay, Descends into hell, rises again on the third day, ascends into heaven, sits at the right hand of God the Father. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. That is now him fully and always using his divine attributes. But he humbles himself. Isn't that amazing? In order for our pride to be dealt with, what does God do? Everything is an opposite. In death there is life. The one who knows no sin becomes sin. In order to deal with our pride, God humbles himself. So Philippians chapter 2, we set it as an affirmation. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There you have it. Humbled. Exalted. But so necessary and so rebellious and deep-rooted is this idea of pride that it requires the Son of God in his nature to assume the human flesh in the person of the Lord Jesus and to bear then pride. And remember what we said about what does, how does God deal with pride? With a hammer. We'll see that shortly. We'll see that shortly. Now, Peter, an eyewitness to this, writes in his epistle, 1 Peter chapter 2, when they hurled their insults at him, in his state of humiliation, what did he do? He did not retaliate. Could have, didn't. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sin in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. You can insert pride there. Might die to pride and live for the righteousness of Christ, the humility given to us in Christ. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I'm telling you, disciples, the scripture says, the shepherd will be struck and the sheep will be scattered, but you will return to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So how does God feel about pride? Well, he wants to crush it, doesn't he? Hammer? Well, you might just say, Oh. God opposes the proud. I'm under the hammer of God. What am I to do? Good news of the gospel, understood, is Isaiah 53. Note the words. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him, the Lord Jesus. Crush him, cause him to suffer. Good news is if the Lord crushes his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, with our sins upon him... He does not what? Crush us. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, here's a state of exaltation, he will do what? See his offspring. That's us. We are the children of God in Christ. We will see his offspring, prolong his days, the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. Jesus says it must happen this way. All the prophets, all the Psalms, all the Old Testament, books of Moses, speak of it. It's the Lord's will to crush him. It must happen this way, Peter. Now, Jesus is praying before this. What is he praying? Well, we don't get insight into what specifically he's praying about Peter in this account in Matthew, but we do see it in Luke. And in Luke, it says there, Peter, I have prayed for you. So power deals with, you know, I want it you know, done kind of with you know, my might, my strength, my way, my will. This one, Peter, I'm praying for you. It's Peter, I want you to know that you're not your own. You're filled with me, myself, and I. But you are not your own. You belong to me. Scripture says that the Lord Jesus intercedes and prays for us. So you can take this prayer as if Jesus is praying it also for you. You get the account in Luke chapter 22. Now, we'll note some plurals here because he's talking to the entire group of disciples. And so I've, for sake of reference, put the reference in parentheses. So it says, Simon, Simon, I, uh, Satan has asked it to sift you, all of you, Peter, you and all the disciples, He's asked to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, speaking directly to Peter, singular, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail and when you have turned back, strengthen your, your brothers. What happens after Jesus is taken by the guards? Well, they all desert him. But the story goes... Peter's standing by the fire. And how many times does he deny the Lord Jesus? I don't know the man. Hey, wait a minute. We'll go back a couple of chapters and we'll say what? Even if all of you, all of you, I never will. Three times he denies Christ. He goes out and he weeps bitterly. And you see this rock pulverized, don't you? Hammer. Is that the end of the story? No? No? Well, we know pride goes before the fall, but what what about after the fall? Is there a story after the fall? Oh, I I would hope so, right? I mean, that's just not one part of the story. God opposes the proud. Well, what happens after the fall? Well, there's a gospel account that speaks of that, but I'd like for you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. I'll share with you what the gospel account is. But you'll see in 1 Peter 5 let's put it this way, kind of a kinder, gentler Peter. I suppose that happens after years of living. You know, we're not wiser because we know more things. I think we're just wiser as we get older because we have more opportunity to fail and to confess and to repent and then to speak out of that to the younger generation. But in the Gospel of John, chapter 21, remember we said uh, the account, Jesus denies Uh, Is denied by Peter three times. After his resurrection for 40 days, Jesus appears to his disciples. And one occasion, he comes directly and speaks to Peter. He says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And the answer is, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says to him, Feed my, my sheep, feed my lambs. How many times does he ask him that in John 21? Three times. I think there are some sins that just need to be matched by God. Don't you? I mean, kind of like you did that three times. Well, I'm going to tell you. I'll tell you three times. And he gives to him this grace, restores him. And it's the echo of that prayer. Satan wanted to sift you, but when you fall, I pray that your faith will not fail and that you will return and you will encourage your brothers. Be a shepherd to them. Shepherd them, not out of pride, but rather out of this humility, because you have been crushed. God has opposed you, Peter, but grace comes to the humble. So, we see Peter referencing this in 1 Peter chapter 5. Again, think of it as a kinder, gentler, humbler Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And then note how he begins verse 5. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. What should you do? All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And then, I think one of the clearest forms of law and gospel this morning, what's the phrase? You read it with me. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Aren't you just glad it doesn't say God opposes the proud? End of story. (laughs) God opposes the proud. Law. A hammer comes. Removes you from the throne. But he gives grace to the humble. That's really the picture of Peter, isn't it? Peter, you're the proud one. God opposed you. You fell. But you ran to the cross. The forgiveness of sins... Your brother, Lord Jesus, he prayed for you, he died for you, he rose for you. And then, just to kind of show you that you know, there is no sin that goes above yours, three times you, know, you denied him, and three times you, he was reinstated. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I think it's appropriate that as we close our Lenten series on the heart, that we use a psalm that deals directly with it. Uh, Psalm 51. We'll use this as our time of confession. Psalm 51, verses 1 through 12. And you'll see here, uh, if you look at your psalm, it'll tell you the history to it. Right there, a little superscription, subscription there. It says, when Nathan the prophet came to David after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And so... By God's spirit, David's heart is crushed. And these are the words that he writes. And you see confession of sin, terror of that sin, repentance over that sin, but then also the forgiveness of sins and the promises of Christ. So I'd like for us to use this, um, these sets of words, verses 1 through 12. We'll read them together. We'll use it as our general confession. Then I'll give you some quiet moments. You can prepare yourself to receive the Lord's Supper. And then um, we'll receive uh, the body and blood of Christ. So let's read these words together, beginning at verse 1 through 12. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin for i know my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you you only have i sinned and done what is evil in your sight said so you are proved right when you speak justified when you judge surely i was sinful at birth sinful from the time my mother conceived me surely you desire truth in the inner parts You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence. Take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. and Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Almighty God in his mercy has given his son to die for you. For his sake I forgives you all your sins. As a called servant of Christ Jesus, by his authority, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit.